The fact that Jesus came and inaugurated a kingdom that has not yet been consummated means that I am a citizen of a kingdom that has not yet fully been realized on this earth. And so when you run into things like suffering and pain and hardship, what do you need to know in those moments? If you're not a student of scripture and haven't been meditating on scripture, you have no category for that stuff. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Today we'll continue in part two of the message, The Art of Scripture Meditation. It's the third message in the series from Pastor Trent called Onward, Don't Stop Now. We've been learning from the book of Joshua how God led his people into the long-awaited promised land. And last week, we learned that getting there was going to require the Israelites to have strength and courage. So turn with us now to Joshua chapter 1, and let's listen as Pastor Trent defines courage and tells us where we can find it in our own journey through life. Here's Pastor Trent. Be courageous. What does it mean to be courageous? Let's give it a definition. Courageous is having an abundant confidence in God's presence and promises in the face of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. George Patton, the famous general, said this, Courage is fear holding on one minute longer. G.K. Chesterton said, Courage is a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. Ambrose Redmond said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important. More important than my safety. More important than my security. More important than my significance. I'm going onward in the face of fear because what lies on the other side is so valuable, I've got to take possession of it. Dennis Rainey is famous for speaking to men, and anytime he meets a man within about 20 seconds, he's going to ask you a question. What's the most courageous thing you've ever done? And Dennis says, I'm shocked at how many men look at me and like, I don't think I've ever done anything courageous. Listen, if your courage resume is a little short, could it be it's because you've never understood the Lord, your God, is with you. Don't be paralyzed to stay where you are in your progress with God. Get over your fear and go over Jordan and go onward into doing things that require courage. What are you scared of? You scared of being wrong? You scared of being ridiculed? You scared of looking stupid? Are you scared of losing money? Are you scared of feeling inadequate? Are you afraid of not measuring up? All of those are the result of pride. Are you afraid of financial loss? Are you afraid of failure? And that's keeping you paralyzed not to move onward? It takes courage 
to lead your family in prayer. It takes courage to accept a leadership role. It takes courage to give sacrificially, trusting the Lord is going to take care of us anyway. It takes courage to reconcile a broken relationship. It takes courage to move on and do something you've never done before. And listen, it takes courage to stay put where you are. What's God calling you to do that would require courage? Where does it come from? You see, if we stop the message right now, I would do you a great disservice because the, the reaction to this is like, okay, I'll be more courageous. I won't be afraid so much. I'll be stronger. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to do better. That's religion, and it will send you to hell because you can never be strong enough and you'll never be courageous enough. But where does strength and courage come from? He tells us in verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, a lot of prosperity preachers have twisted and distorted that passage of Scripture to tell you God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's Benjamin Franklin. That is not God, okay? That's not what he's talking about. What does it mean to be successful as a Christian? What does it mean to be prosperous? It means that you will be able to complete the mission that God has for you. Courage and strength is spending your life on the mission God has assigned. Mainly, being holy as He is holy and making disciples of all nations. That's what it means to be a success. That's what we need courage and strength for. So where do you get it? It's this word, meditation. So let's give that a definition. What is meditation? Meditation is quiet contemplation on God's self-disclosure in Scripture. Quiet. Do you remember this concept? Do you remember way back, like in 1993, there was those, those 10 minutes of quiet back before email, back before smartphones, back before iPods and iPhones and music and a thousand channels on cable? Do you know how hard it is to be quiet quiet enough to contemplate and focus on the self-disclosure of God in Scripture? That's a lost art. And before the day's over, I trust that you'll understand just a bit of what it means to meditate on God's Word. Now, let me tell you what meditation is not. If you are thinking of Eastern transcendental meditation right now, you do not understand what we're talking about. If you're thinking about clearing your mind and focusing on the lint in your navel, that's not, that's not biblical, man. That, 
No. If you're thinking of yoga right now, that's not meditation. If you're thinking of yoga pants right now, you've really got issues. So what we're talking about is focused pondering on the words of God that he has recorded for us in this book. Now, when God gave Joshua that command in verse 8, how much of this book did Joshua have to meditate on? Five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The parts of the Bible that most of us avoid. Right? Like, oh, I'm going to meditate on that. That's another boring stuff in there. I mean, I have understand half the stuff in there. That's what God told Joshua to meditate on. And he said, do it day and night. And so now here we have the progressive revelation of God, the complete, sufficient Word of God. We have all of this, and yet how much time do we spend wrapping our minds around the words from the mind of God? That's what He's given us. And what is the promise? If you will do this, you will have success and prosper in everything you do. How many of you would sign up for that program? Um, how many like to be successful in everything you do? How many like to prosper in everything you do? Yeah, I'll sign up for that program. Then what he's telling you, the key that unlocks the success is meditating on God's Word. So what does it mean to meditate on God's Word? Let me show you what the Scripture says. Psalm 19, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How much of the thoughts that go through our mind are totally unacceptable to God? The song lyrics the movie plots, the philosophies that came from our sister or our cousin or our philosophy teacher in college, godless thoughts, totally unacceptable. How do you get that stuff out? You have to replace it with the truth. You put the truth of the mind of God in your mind and it transforms your thinking. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You do that through the process of meditation. Psalm 119 verses 97 and 99 say this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Meditation is drawing near to God in quietness. Meditation is experiencing God's presence. Meditation is actively pondering the depths of what God has said in His Word. Meditation is the slow, intentional, repeated reading and reciting of God's Word. It's listening for instructions from a timeless book in your timely spot on this planet. It's being assured of God's presence and purposes for my life. And God transforms me as I think about it. There's an analogy that um, someone taught me years ago, just in relation to meditation, and it comes from um, studying biology. Remember when you were in eighth grade and you're studying the digestive system? 
Remember how gross that was? You had to dissect things and all that stuff. Well, you probably studied, like I did, the digestive system of a cow. Now, let's just meditate here for a moment on the digestive system of a cow. Just think about this. How many stomachs does a cow have? Four. Just meditate on that for a second. How awesome would that be? You could eat 12 times a day. Some of us think we have four stomachs. Some of us look like we have four stomachs. We, we eat 12 times a day and you're going to need four stomachs. Well, this cow, what does he do? He takes a bite and he chews it up and he swallows it and it goes down into stomach number one and it just kind of sits there for a while. Some of the digestive juices kind of work on it a little bit. But after a while, you know what happens? This is the gross part. He regurgitates and it comes back up. And he chews on it and chews on it some more. And then he swallows it again. And then it comes back up. And he chews on it. He swallows it again. It just keeps going back and forth until what he has eaten becomes part of who he is. What he eats becomes cow. That's called rumination. And that's what it's like in meditation. You take a bite, you chew on it, you swallow it, you put it away, and then you bring it back up for a while and you chew on it some more and you put it away until what you've eaten becomes you. That's meditation. How does meditation produce strength and courage? Well, it's like, what's the connection between those two? Let me put it this way. How many of you have ever driven over this bridge? This is the Mackinac Bridge that goes from the lower peninsula of Michigan into the upper peninsula of Michigan. How many of you have driven on this bridge? How many of you enjoyed that? How many of you were terrified as you were driving over it? Now, most of you, when you, when you went across the bridge, you didn't even take your foot off of the accelerator. You just kept going. You're probably going like 50 miles an hour over this bridge. And every now and then you're looking over. It's like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. But let me ask you this. What if they had not put guardrails on the bridge. Would you be a little terrified? Why? Do you see cars bouncing off of the guardrails as you go across the bridge? Are they pretty much capable of holding it between the lines across the bridge? But what do the guardrails do? The guardrails give you courage to go onward. That's what God's Word does. That's what the law of God does. It gives you guardrails in your mind to say, I can move forward knowing who God is, how much sin costs, that Jesus is enough, and that help is on the way, and that hope is alive. All of those thoughts going through my mind as I read this book remind me it is safe to move onward. God is with me, and He will be with me wherever I go. Meditation is intentional. You need a time. You need a place. Meditation is rhythmic. He says day and night. How many of you are morning people? Raise your hands. How many of you are night people? Raise your hands. How many of you still hadn't figured that one out? You're just kind of lunch, period. You're just like, that's kind of that, you know, I got lunch is kind of my time right there. Okay, good. Well, day and night, there's a rhythm to doing this. But notice there's really not much room for about 12 hours to pass before you need to get your mind on 
the focused reality of God's Word. There is no movement in the Christian life. There is no progress in the church without the truth of God's Word. Do you know what we're doing right now? We are gathering together to meditate on the words of God. That's why the first pillar of our church is proclaiming the authority of the Word of God without apology. Listen, any church or any pastor that diminishes the importance of the clarity of God's Word is a church that will be fearful and weak. And so if you find a pastor that is not leading with God's Word, you are finding a pastor that is not leading you where God wants you to go. But doing the, the, what the pastor is doing is not enough. This is a pre-digested meal that I am feeding you. This is baby food. I have to scoop it out of the jar. It's been mixed up and smashed up so that I can get it. I have to wipe it off your mouth and stick it back in again. You spit it out, stick it back in there. If you're a parent, you know the process, right? Well, listen, what a strong, courageous Christian does is learns to feed himself. And that's what meditation is all about. So can I take just a few more minutes? and give you some very simple thoughts about how to meditate on God's Word. First of all, remember who the book is about. Listen, there are so many quote-unquote devotional books out there that will give you the idea that this book is about you. This book is not about you. We say that we believe the Bible is about God but we read it like it's about us. And so if you come to the Bible thinking it's about you, you're going to come and you're going to misunderstand and misrepresent what God was saying. One of the keys to understanding this book is to realize God used human authors to accurately record His words. But those human authors lived in a different time, in a different context, and they were writing to a specific group of people going through specific issues. When we read the book of Joshua, we're reading a book that's thousands of years old. And as it was recorded, it was recorded to be read by people in that context. Now, the miraculous thing about God's Word is when we read it, the Holy Spirit illuminates it and applies it to our lives. But if you come to the book thinking it's about you, you'll read verse 8 and say, God wants me to be rich. Really? You want to try to preach that in Uganda? And so what we have to do is understand the meaning of the Scripture is determined by the author, not assigned by the reader. You have to understand, what genre am I reading? What was the context it was written to? What was written before? What was written after? What do we now know about that culture? So many things have to be understood, or you will misinterpret so many of the things. The second thing is this, know what you are looking for. The questions that you should be asking is, what is God like? What am I like? What does He require of me? Why was Jesus necessary? Why was the cross necessary? What's coming? What required, what's God requiring of me now? 
Can I just tell you, these five basic truths, this is going to blow your mind, that's all that's in the Bible. Everything in the Bible can be put in one of those five categories. And so if you're looking for something else, so many stupid books out there about Bible codes, and if you line up the words of the matrix and kind of cross it this way and that way, you get some message about who the next president's going to be, you know. Like, come on. You know what you're going to find in the Bible? You know what the first five books of the Bible tell you? God is holy. That's it. It'll also tell you how sin is costly. And then we learn what our responsibility is. My faith and my obedience is required. But I'm never going to have enough faith and I'm never going to perfectly obey. That's why I need to know the fourth thing. Jesus is enough. It's not my faith and my obedience that accomplishes anything. It's my faith in Jesus. And it's my confidence that He is enough and He is sufficient to pay for the debt that I owe. And yet, in response to who Jesus is, I've got great faith and obedience toward what He's told me to do. And the last thing is so important. Hope is alive. The fact that Jesus came and inaugurated a kingdom that has not yet been consummated means that I am a citizen of a kingdom that has not yet fully been realized on this earth. And so when you run into things like suffering and pain and hardship and college and biology and, and debt and unemployment and cancer and Alzheimer's, what do you need to know in those moments? If you're not a student of Scripture and haven't been meditating on Scripture, you have no category for that stuff. Well, I guess God isn't in control. Well, I guess God just doesn't love me if He's letting me go through that stuff. You're showing your incredible ignorance in the Bible if you say those things. What you learn is this. This world is not my home. And one day, help is going to come. And Jesus is going to be here. And every sorrow and every tear will be dried up and wiped away. There will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease, no more crying, no more sorrows. But that's coming later. That's what I meditate on when I get in God's book. My best life is not now. My best life is coming later. And so that's why hope is alive. That's what the Bible teaches me. Now, how are you going to learn all that stuff? It's going to require an investment of time. And I would say this, it's going to require an investment of money. I am shocked at some people sometimes like, oh, let me just not assume anything. You're going to need one of these. Do you have one of these? Do you have one that's like not your grandmother's, you know? And Do you have one? Are, are you afraid to mark in it? If you look at the strongest, most courageous Christians in this church, ask to see their Bible. There will be blood stains and tear stains and coffee stains all over it because they have invested so much time. This has become part of who they are. And that is how a student of God's Word meditates and just, just it becomes part of who you are, the investment of time. And some people are like, well, I, I can't afford a Bible. I mean, it's like 50 bucks for a Bible. I mean, come on. How much was your cell phone bill last month? 
so that you could talk to your kids? God wants to talk to you. Invest the time. Use good tools. Ask good questions. Listen, the first book I ever read as a Christian, I was, I was like 15, 16 years old. I still have this book in my office. I saw it this morning. It was a book by Rick Warren. Do not judge me. It was a book by Rick Warren. And it, it was a book just talk, talking about how to study God's Word. It, was, it, was so, it held me so much. And it was in that book I learned these questions. I have used these questions almost every day of my life as I've meditated on God's Word. You don't just blindly go to God's Word and speed read through it. You are asking God to speak to you and you're asking, do I see any sin that I need to confess in this text? Is there a promise here that I need to claim? Is there an attitude I need to adjust? Is there a command I should obey? Is there an error that I should avoid? One of the great things about the Bible, and you know it's inspired by God, is that God actually records the flaws and the sins of people that were His people. If it was a human book, uh, we would have edited that. But God records errors of His people so that we could avoid them in the future. Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an example to follow? Is there a truth simply that I need to believe as I meditate on God's Word? Ask good questions. And then five, record your discovery. You need a journal. There is something about reading God's Word, ruminating it through your mind, and then beginning to express that out down your arm with a pen in hand on paper, writing it out. Now you're seeing it again, and maybe you're even quoting it as you say it. We haven't really talked about memorizing it. We're just talking about meditating on it. But what happens when you meditate on it? You begin to memorize it. And so if you stop at number five, you'll be a hypocrite. That's why you got to get to number six. Now you got to obey something and then love somebody enough to share what God has showed you. Do you want to be a success? What would you do this week for God if you knew you could not fail? What would you do? Do you remember the promise? You shall make your way prosperous and you will find success wherever you go if you meditate day and night on the words of this book. That's the promise. And so I trust this this week that you'll have the discipline to set aside time, carve it out, schedule it, turn off every other distraction, a quiet place of contemplation to focus on what God would say to you so that you can be strong and courageous. Just as Pastor Trent Griffith taught us today, we find strength and courage as we meditate and act upon the truths of God's Word. With so many distractions and a multitude of things fighting for our attention, we must make an intentional choice to quiet ourselves and to hear what God wants to teach us from His Word. I hope you'll make that an important part of each day. Well, each week at Harvest Bible Chapel, Pastor Trent boldly teaches from the Bible, just like you heard here today. And if you're in the area and are looking for a place to grow in your relationship with Christ, we invite you to join us at a weekend worship service on one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana, 
or St. Joseph, Michigan. You can find service times and campus locations on our website. And if you're a Resonate listener living in Elkhart County, looking for a church in your own community, we'd love to hear from you. Just fill out the form at harvestgranger.org slash Elkhart, and we'll keep you posted with updates as we explore the possibility of an extension campus near you. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.